Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, everyone here, online, out in the back, outside. Uh, my name is Chris. Uh, if you're new or, or visiting online for the first time, uh, I'm the church planning pastor here, and it is just good to be with you guys this afternoon. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and grab it and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, that's where we're digging into this morning. All right, let me pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and get started. Father, we, we thank you that you are not silent, but that you speak to us by, by giving us your, your word, your holy scriptures. You tell us that your word is living, that it's active, that it cuts to the heart in ways that are, that are good for us, that are good for our souls. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see how true and good and beautiful Jesus Christ and his church are this morning or afternoon. <laughs> In Christ's name I pray, amen. Um, so, question for the men. Maybe... Uh, I want to know if this has ever kind of sort of like happened to you where your wife sends you to like a store, the store on a mission. Um, maybe it's to get paper towels or, or Tylenol or uh, in this particular instance, it was light bulbs, right? But then, then you get there and you forget why you're there, right? And so instead of calling her, which is what I should have done, like I just kind of, I just guessed what we needed. Right? I knew we had a conversation. I'm like, you know, I'm going to, I was like, I, I knew that we talked about having, having a date night in that night. And so I, I had, had a good sense, at least I thought, of what, of what we needed. And so I got stuff for our date night. And I come home uh, and I'm all, all proud of myself. You know, I've got this bottle of wine, some kettle corn popcorn. And then I walk into our dark family room and realize, like, all right. I was supposed to get a light bulb, right? That's, that's what I forgot. I, that's what I was supposed to get. I was supposed to get a light bulb. You see, my failure in that particular moment paints, I think, a helpful picture for us that unless you sort of rehash uh, on the regular and, and write things down, like it could be easy to forget what your original mission is, right? It could be easy to forget your original mission, and so you have to rehearse it. 
And that's sort of what we do at the beginning of every year as a church. We've only been around for a few years, but every January, um, regardless of what's going on in our culture, in our church, which let's be honest, this January hits a little different, right? This January seems to January, like unlike any of the other Januaries that we've had. But every beginning of the year, we want to sort of pause, take a step back, and revisit like what it, what it is that who it is that we are, and what is it that we're called to as a church. So our mission statement, which is uh, really just a a shortened statement uh, that summarizes the uh, great commandment and the great commission that we take from the scriptures, our mission statement as a church is this. It's to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus who live for the glory of God, the growth of one another, and the good of others in the everyday stuff of life. You've probably heard us use terminology like that in some form or fashion, like over the last several months and few years, right? We exist to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus who live for the glory of God, the growth of one another, and the good of others in the everyday stuff of life. So last week, we talked all about what it means to live for the glory of God, to have a lifestyle posture of worship. We looked at that out of Romans 12, and this morning, we're going to dig into Hebrews 10, which is all about Christian community. What does it mean for us to be invested in the growth of one another? What does it look like for us to be a church community? So I'm going to give you the outline right on the front end. We're going to look at three things in this particular passage. Number one, why we're called to authentic community. Number two, what authentic Christian community is shaped like. And then number three, what even makes authentic community possible? How does the gospel make that possible? And so let's look at number one. Why we're called to authentic community. And what I'm speaking of is Christians here. Why are we as Christians, why are we called to engage in what uh, in the Bible could be described as authentic community? What is the big why of Christian community? Here's the big why of Christian community. It's because there's no Christianity without community in a local church context. Simply put, There's no real, genuine experience of Christianity removed from without community in a local church context. All right, I want you to read the passage again with me from Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 25. I'm going to read this slowly, and I want you to to sort of hang on every single word and phrase as I read through it, okay? The author of Hebrews says... Um, which, by the way, uh, he, he had spent the majority of Hebrews sort of expanding on the implications of the gospel, which if you were here last week, that's what we saw in Romans uh, 12, is that Romans 12 comes after Paul had expounded on the gospel, and right here in Hebrews 10 verse 19, this comes after the author has expounded on the gospel in this book. And so the author says, verse 19, therefore, in other words, in light of all these things, in light of all those implications, therefore, brothers, that could be translated brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, that's the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, 
which if you're confused by what that means, he clarifies right there. He says that is through his flesh. So in other words, by Jesus dying on the cross, a new and living way was opened up for us. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus is our great high priest. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So again, what is the big why of Christian community? It's because there's no real experience of Christianity without community. I mean, did you notice that in that passage, what he's talking about is experiencing the riches and benefits of the Christian faith. But did you notice that all throughout that passage we just read, the whole passage itself is dripping with language about togetherness, right? It's dripping with language about community and friendship and relationship. The author starts off by addressing them brothers, which again could be translated brothers and sisters, And that term, brothers, it's an endearing term. That tells us that this passage is not, what's being said here is not this didactic lecture, but this is letter from family to family. He's going, hey fam, listen to this, right? Let me encourage you in this. And again and again, he addresses them as he says, let us. He says, let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider. Not let me or let you or let your friend or my friend. No, who really needs to hear this, who really needs to heed the words in this passage is us. Eugene Peterson highlights this when he said one of the immediate changes that the gospel makes is actually grammatical. It's we instead of I. It's our instead of my. It's us instead of me. Here's the one thing that you just can't miss this afternoon. It's that Jesus' vision for salvation His vision for his church, his vision for his people and his kingdom for all eternity. His vision is that he doesn't just save us as mere individuals, but he saves for himself a people, a collective people. He doesn't just save us as individuals to have individual reconciled relationships with God. No, he saves us and reconciles us to each other adopts us together as a family, which is why, again, the author addresses them as brothers and sisters. And that is why the writer of Hebrews here, after unpacking the fact that Jesus does save us through his perfect life, his brutal death, and his victorious resurrection, after all of that, he, he then he, he clarifies that Jesus also made it so that we can now draw near to God 
And when he says that, when he unpacks the blessing and what it means for us to draw near to God, he, he turns and he says, verse 24, he says, or 22, he says, therefore, let us draw near. Verse 23, therefore, in light of all those things, let us hold fast to hope. Therefore, let us stir each other up to love and good deeds. Therefore, let us continue to meet together. In other words, one of the ways that we draw nearest to God and one of the ways that we experience the riches and the benefits of the gospel of God's grace is through our belonging to one another in a local church. Elsewhere, the church is called the body of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 12. And we're also told, we saw a couple weeks ago, that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. You put those together, you see that, in other words, if you want to do anything of spiritual worth and value, if you want to do anything that lasts for eternity, you need to be connected to Christ himself. And one of the primary ways you stay connected to Christ himself is through his body. We could say it this way, that one of the primary ways God grows us in the grace of the gospel is through the community of the gospel. One of the primary ways God grows us in the grace of the gospel is through the community of the gospel. And so when you put it that way, when you put it that way, you start to see and understand and recognize that it's not that you have to be in Christian community. It's that you get to be. It's your lifeline. It's a joy. It's a blessing. It's how you receive the riches and the streams of God's grace. You get to be in Christian community. And so that's number one, the why we're called to community in the first place. Number two, here's what authentic Christian community is shaped like. All right? Here's what authentic community is shaped like. So we've already established a big why of Christian community, but now let's look at, through this passage, what does it look like? What does it shape like? According to this text, we see at least four things. Now, this obviously is not an exhaustive list on how church community is shaped, but in this particular fat passage, I want us to, to, to point your uh, attention to at least four reasons. Number one, hopefulness. Authentic Christian community is shaped by hopefulness. Read verse 23 again. When the author says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What is the confession of hope that he speaks of? When he says the confession of our hope, what he's referring to is everything that he's been saying in the book of Hebrews up to this point. All of the ink that he spilled in the previous nine chapters. And so uh, we're going to go through each of those nine chapters. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. <laughs> but, but let me just summarize the book of Hebrews for you, all right? The Cliff Notes version in one sentence of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus not only satisfies every requirement of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, but he surpasses them. Jesus not only satisfies every requirement of the Old Covenant, uh, which none of us could ever satisfy, but he actually surpasses them. 
Why is that significant? It's because under the old covenant, we were told how you can have a relationship with God. And what happened is you saw time and time again, God's people kept screwing that up over and over and over again. Nobody could do it. And so then Jesus comes and he fills every promise of the Old Testament, every promise of the Old Testament and then some. The book of Hebrews shows us that all the kings, all the priests, all the prophets of the Old Testament, they aren't just random people with arbitrary roles. No, they're all types that point forward to Jesus, the antitype who fulfills them all. To put it more simply, it's to say that Jesus is the greater king than David. He is the greater priest than Melchizedek. He's a greater prophet than Moses. All those people in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, they're just pawns that point to the one who is truer and better than them all. That's Jesus. That's the point of the book of Hebrews. I like to think of like bobbleheads, right? Uh, like you think of a bob- bobblehead of like just a, a, a giant epic figure, someone like Shaq, right? A bobblehead of Shaq is, is just this distorted mini character that doesn't even compare to the real beast that Shaq is, right? What Hebrews tells us is that Jesus, he's a beast of a prophet, of a, of a priest and of a king. His death on the cross was more powerful, so powerful in destroying the effects of sin that no other sacrifice would ever have to be made. He's a lion and a lamb. See, the confession of our hope that the author speaks of when he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. The confession of our hope he's talking about is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the very center of the Christian message. The gospel is the good news that's given to bad people like you and me that through the finished work of Christ on the cross and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have forgiveness. We have reconciliation with God. We need constant immersion in this gospel. We need multiple exposures to this gospel. We need wave upon wave upon wave of this gospel. That's why, by the way, our, our worship gatherings on Sundays are, are saturated in the gospel. That's why we begin with a call to worship from God's word, an invitation to one another, where we take time to confess our sin, recognizing the reality of sin, but also celebrating the assurance of God's grace, followed up by a word of the gospel, which is what we're doing right now. And then we receive the gospel and feast upon it in communion. And then we leave, we're sent with the benediction. Our gatherings are saturated by the gospel because we need to hold fast the confession of our hope. And so that's the first thing that um, our authentic community is shaped by is helpfulness in the gospel. The second thing is helpfulness. Helpfulness. We're talking about the hot kind of helpfulness that, that, that spurs us onto holiness. Look at verse 24 with me. The author says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. 
You see, if we want to grow in the grace of the gospel, if we want to grow in holiness, in the likeness of Christ, then we need each other. We need one another. We need each other to serve each other, to help each other, even, even to correct each other for our mutual good and for God's glory. Look, this is something that we should fight for. This is something that we should care about. Helping one another towards holiness. We need to care about that for the purity of our church. We need to care about that for our, our collective testimony of Christ. And we need to care about that just for our love for one another. For those that we belong to in, 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 as, in a, as a church. You see, the... The uncomfortable side of that is that not only means that you fight for the holiness of others, but that also means that you need to let others fight for your own holiness. You don't just get to sharpen others, you allow others to sharpen you. And that means you need community with people who who are for you. They love, honor, and they cherish you. But they're also like not too impressed by you. They aren't unwilling to have hard conversations with you, especially, especially when you need to be called out. People who appreciate the strengths and gifts that you bring to the world, but are also honest about your weaknesses and, and will help you grow. Man, I have people like that in my life. I hope you have people like that in yours. Proverbs 27, verse 17, this is out of the CSB. It says, iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. There's a classic illustration on this in the ancient epic, uh, the the Odyssey. The Odyssey. uh, The Greek hero Odysseus, he's on this, this singular mission to get home. He wants to get home to his wife and kid, and, and, and nobody knows that he's alive. And so he's on this 10-year epic journey home. And at one point, he's on a boat. He's, he's the captain of this boat, and he knows that they're going to sail by this island of sirens. And if you know anything about the mythology uh, that existed back in, sirens are like these women who would sit on the rocks uh, in, in the ocean, uh, in, in, the, in the cove, and they would sing this enchanted song that made sailors just go, go mad with desire. Uh, and then uh, any, they tried to entice any, any, any boat or ship that sailed by, and, and these men who would be so entranced with desire that they'd start to steer towards the sirens, they'd hit the rocks, and then they'd, they'd shipwreck and, and die. Um, so... Odysseus, he knows that that's about to happen, and so he has his crew tie himself to the center mass of the ship. He tells them to put plugs in all his ears, and, and, and he says, look, here's, here's how you can have my back. 
Here's how you can look after me. Look, I'm going to go stir crazy over these sirens. I'm going to say bad things. I'm going to scream. I'm going to call you names. But man, just, just ignore me. Because just keep rowing until I come to my senses. Ignore me. Tell me not to listen to them. Do what you need to do, not what I want you to do, because I just need you to have my back in this moment. Look, we, we need, we need people in our lives, people in our community, people in our church. We need to give people permission to do that for us. For our mutual good, for the growth of one another, and for God's glory. See, culture today would tell us the opposite. Culture today would tell us, like, hey, don't let anybody in your business. It's hyper-individualistic. Culture would tell us, no, you don't need other people. You just do you. You just do self-determined you. You can have that kind of individualism. You can have that kind of extreme autonomy. Or you can have authentic community, the type of relationships you were made for. But you can't have both. You can't have both. Are you willing to let others press into you? Are you willing to let others be used by God, the Holy Spirit, to sand down the rough edges around your heart? And are they willing to let you? Are you stirring one another toward love and good works, as the author of Hebrews says? By the way, there's a helpful equation uh, that I stole from Ray Ortland Jr. He's a uh, uh, retired pastor uh, out in Nashville, Tennessee. And he says the context that's needed for healthy gospel culture where, where we can have this healthy kind of community is this equation. He says we need gospel plus safety plus time. Gospel plus safety plus time equals a healthy gospel culture. And he says, look, this is what everyone needs. Everybody needs a lot of gospel. Everyone needs a lot of safety. Everyone needs a lot of time. What is the gospel again? Gospel is good news for bad people. That through the finished work of Christ on the cross and the endless power of the Holy Spirit, we can be reconciled to God and one another. And so Orland says we need multiple exposures to that gospel. We need constant immersion in that gospel. Like we said earlier, we need wave upon wave of both grace and truth as we find it in the scriptures. We also need safety. Safety, he defines as a non-accusing environment. That means when we do sharpen one another, it's, it's not in a way that embarrasses anyone. There's no manipulation happening. There's no oppression happening. There's no condescension. I want to say condensation. That's different. There's no condescension. You're not talking down on others. But instead, there's respect, sympathy, understanding. The kind of environment where sinners can openly confess and unburden their souls. A church environment where no one who is genuinely seeking the Lord has anything to fear from their brothers and sisters. As we said here as a church, and we also stole this from another church in our Acts 29 network, uh, we want to be, create the kind of environment where, 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 where it's, it's okay for us to not be okay. 
with one another. What's also required, though, is time. Orlin says that time is this environment where, where there's, there's no overt pressure, not even self-imposed pressure. So we don't place deadlines on each other for growth. That doesn't mean that there's no sense of urgency. There certainly is a sense of urgency, but there's not a sense of hurry. There's a difference. Because we recognize that not, not everyone's lives change quickly. And so we give each other space and time for complicated people to rethink their lives at a deep level. The Bible says God is patient and kind. So we want to be patient with one another. See, this is what our church must be. Remember, the reason that we're going through these things is because we want to recalibrate ourselves, make sure we're heading in the right direction for 2022, all right? So we want to be a church that embodies this sort of gospel culture, this sort of gospel community. A church that is a gentle environment, a gentle environment of gospel plus safety plus time where we're all free to finally grow. Gospel or, or authentic community is shaped by hopefulness, by helpfulness towards holiness. And number three, by a habit of gathering together. A habit of gathering together. Read verse 25 with me. He says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. In other words, he's saying, look, you, you got to regularly gather together as a church. And he, what he's referring to is primarily the Lord's Day gathering, the Sunday gathering of the church. That word meeting together in Hebrews 10, 25 is the Greek word episea nagoge, which means congregation. And that's how we know that it's talking about the Sunday gathering. He's not just saying, hey, don't neglect hanging out with your Christian friends. He's not just saying, don't neglect hanging out with your, your Christian homies, your small group, your, your mom group, your women's group. By all means, he's like, do those things. But here, he's specifically talking about the congregational gathering. He says, don't neglect gathering as a whole congregation. We're all familiar with the word segregation, right? That nasty word. Segregation, which means to keep separate from each other. But congregation is a joining together, a welding together, a joining together like a cluster of grapes or like vines on a branch where each part is organically related and connected to each other. And so what that means practically is that you don't just come to a Sunday gathering to have some individualistic experience. You don't just come to church like you did this afternoon to have some consumeristic experience. No, you come, if you're a Christian, to be with one another, to be with God's people. That means that when we pray together, when we stand together, when we sing with one voice together, even for those of us who are off key, that should make us look around and say, I'm not alone in this. <coughs> I'm not alone in this Christian journey. 
We should be reminded and encouraged that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. That's why we gather. That's the purpose of our gathering. <laughs> and because, because everything that we do on Sunday is meant to be done in community, you don't just come on Sundays for yourself. You come here for one another. Remember, church isn't a place that you go. It's a community that you belong to, where you love one another, carry each other's burdens, <clears throat> where you celebrate together and you weep together. And look, it's, it's also not, while, while, while the command here is specifically about our congregational gatherings, I want to clarify that it's also not just Sundays that we're to do this. We get filled up together on Sundays, but then that filling up should spill out into the week as we have fellowship with one another outside of the Sunday, Sunday gathering too. One of the ways <coughs> that we do this, or that we have done this, is through what we've called home groups. And some of you might be aware that, that this season of home groups, we're, we're sort of launching a new initiative uh, as a church, uh, beginning with this next season that, that launches in the next few weeks here uh, that uh, Oscar and Danny put together, where, where we're calling it KX Communities. KX Communities, and KX Communities has three parts to it. And the reason that we're formatting this is to encourage us to have the type of authentic community that we've been talking about. This afternoon. And so with our KX community initiatives, there it ha we have three different practices that we hope everyone will plug into. All right? The first is what we call home groups. That's what we've been having since we started this church. Right? Home groups are, are gatherings of uh, anywhere, like usually around a dozen people, um, uh, where uh, we meet together for intentional discipleship. This next season will be slowly going as a uh, as through, in our home groups through uh, Romans chapter eight. Typically, what happens is in in a, in a home group you'll have a, a men uh, in, in a, that are in one home group meet on one week, and then the women in that home group meet the following week, and then we alternate like that. And so that allows those of us uh, who have young children uh, for parents to take turns. Um, watching the kids so that we can, so that everybody can participate. So home groups will be going through Romans 8, intentional discipleship. That means, discipleship means following Jesus. And so this is where intentionally helping one another follow Jesus happens, is in the context of home groups. The next thing that we're going to do, and these go in order of frequency, the next thing that we're going to be doing is what we've called family dinners, Family dinners. And family dinners is where what we call fellowship happens. And so that means where, where you just get together with other believers, other followers of Jesus, and you just share a meal and get to celebrate and enjoy Christian relationships in, 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 in a safe uh, environment. All right? And so this is usually where uh, singles, Newlyweds, retirees, like young families will get together in one home, anywhere from like 15 to 20 people. Um, and it's, we'll, we'll do these uh, like a few times uh, throughout this next season of home groups. 
getting together around the table to share a meal and just enjoy fellowship. And then the last thing, the third uh, thing under our uh, at KX Communities banner is this practice that we call block parties. Block parties will happen a few times a year, and these are larger missional gatherings. And so what that might look like is, let's just say like around, um, around like right before Easter, right? Right before Easter, it's springtime, uh, it's a you know, new season that we're ushering into. And so you'll have a number of people who live, let's just say, in the Saddleback Valley area. And then maybe another group, larger group of people who live down in like the Rancho Mission Viejo area, right? And, and what we'll have is like large uh, gatherings, maybe in a park, maybe at a bowling alley, uh, uh, you know, just a large sort of gathering where multiple people can get together and it's a sort of an easy entry point where you can invite your neighbors, your friends, a coworker, the family down the street, just say like, hey, like, our, our, our church is having like this, this, this party going on, right? We're celebrating July 4th together, right? Why don't you, why don't you join us? We're going to do fireworks. We're going to do barbecue, like things like that. That's, that's what block parties are going to look like. Now, all of this, all of this falls under what we're calling KX communities, where we want intentional discipleship to be happening, fellowship with one another, and we're engaged on mission with our, our neighbors and the people around us. Authentic community is shaped by a regular habit of gathering together. Number four, we're also shaped by a heart of encouragement. I know I kind of cheated with those last two. They're not real like H words, but, you know, heart of encouragement. Verse 25 says, again, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, he says. So part of what it looks like to meet together and gather together is one of the things that happens is we encourage one another. Stirring each other, which is what we looked in the last verse, is all about sharpening our character. Encouraging one another is about lifting each other up. See, people tend to be just about the one or the other, depending on their personality depending on how nice they are or aren't, or depending on how crusty they are or aren't, right? People tend to be about just the one or the other. Like some people are all about confronting sin. Some churches are all about that too. But some people are all about supporting one another no matter what we're doing, no matter what the other person is doing, and some churches are like that too. But look, this passage, we see that both need to be happening. Both need to be happening. We need to be both sharpening each other in character and lifting one another up in spirits. Truth without grace can be harsh and ugly because it seeks to win the argument at the expense of somebody else's dignity. But grace without truth can be overly sentimental and cowardly where reality is just altogether ignored. In John chapter 1, it says that Jesus is full of both 
grace and truth. We can't divorce the one from the other. We need both. And it actually takes courage. It actually takes the empowering of the spirit and genuine courage to be the kind of person to list, who listens thoughtfully and lovingly while at the same time stands firm on the truth and on the beauty of God's word. Look, these are the things that, that authentic community is shaped by. And again, this isn't an exhaustive list, but it's a beautiful one. We're shaped by having a heart of encouragement, habit of gathering, helping one another, helping one another, being hopeful together, which leads us to our last point, number three. Now, what makes authentic community possible? We've talked about why authentic community is even a thing we're called to. We just broke down four different ways that authentic community is shaped. And so let's close by looking at what authentic community, what makes it authentic community possible. Uh, because it's secured by the grace of Jesus. That's what makes it possible. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Read verse 19 through 22 again with me. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Look, I know there's a lot of like Old Covenant, Old Testament language here that might be a little confusing, especially if you're new to the scriptures. Holy places, curtains, priests, and, and, and things like that. And a lot of people can find that, that, that stuff sort of boring. But I, I want you to get this because this is so important. He's basically saying, the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus' body, his body, his corporal body, is the proverbial curtain that was torn. So that undeserving sinners like me and like you, to be reconciled, reunited, restored to a right relationship with our maker. That's what it means when it says that he opened up for us through the curtain, which is his, his, his flesh. Jesus' body is the curtain that was torn so that undeserving sinners like you and me no longer have to be on this side of the curtain while God's on the other side of the curtain. No, his body was torn on the cross when he hung in our place and for our sins. Jesus' body was torn so that we could have access to God, so that we could be reconciled and restored to right relationship with him. You see, that's what makes the community of Jesus possible. <laughs> you see, in the Old Testament, worshipers of God couldn't draw near to God in a profound way. You had this temple in Jerusalem that had all these layers to it, like an onion. And the innermost part is where the presence of God was strongest and most intense. Only the high priest could go in there once a year. The average person couldn't make it in. And there was this, 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 this veil, this, this curtain around it that symbolized how we are separated from God because he is pure and holy and we are stained and sinful. And there's no way for the average person to get in from one side of the curtain to the other until Jesus 
the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God. When Jesus died on the cross, the temple was destroyed, reduced to rubble. The veil was torn, showing that the presence of God is now unleashed. And look, we need that more than anything. We need the presence of God in our lives more than anything. His presence meets you and transforms you, and it transforms your relationships. Because when you are loved and accepted in Jesus Christ, when you are washed by his blood, then and only then are you truly free to give your real self to others. His nature, the nature of Christ, his holiness, his love, it liberates you. It liberates you from being selfish. It liberates you from being insecure. Because we're made whole, truly whole in the gospel. You see, most of us, we use community. We use community to make ourselves feel validated, to make ourselves feel, feel good about us, about the self. <laughs> or on the other hand, we might, instead of using community, we'll avoid community because it makes us feel safe and unexposed. Excuse me. But that's just another version of serving yourself, right? But when, when you're loved and accepted in Jesus, when you have a perfect relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when you realize that you're known for all your mess and all your brokenness, yet loved in Jesus, then you can truly give yourself to others because you've already been made full. You've already been made whole. When Jesus suffered in our place, he was alone in the fullest sense of that word. He suffered alone for our sins so that God would never leave you or forsake you. So if you're the kind of person who who doesn't have faith in Jesus or who struggles with faith in Jesus, know that through faith alone, you can have community with him. For those of us that already have faith in Jesus, know that because you have community with him, you're free to have real, authentic community with one another. What Jesus does for us in the gospel will change your relationships because it changes everything. He changes everything. By the grace of God, may he continue to change our church community. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.